Welcome to our 49th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We're your host, I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. Well, Russell, uh, I think we better start off the episode with an apology to our uh, New Zealand listeners. Well, one in particular, uh, Tony's wife. Yeah. Yeah, we messed that up, Uh, I think. Yeah. You know, she woke up at 3 a.m. to listen to the episode. I'm like. Uh, well, I think we need to apologize to her. Yeah, I agree. And uh, from what I've read, you know, New Zealand is kind of a land of, you know, just rainbows and unicorns. It is. You guys, maybe we need to bring them over here and take them to one of our uh, little peaceful protests there you go yeah and then she would go back and say oh my god new zealand is (laughs) nothing but (laughs) rainbows and unicorns (laughs) yeah yeah but uh uh, we give them big shout outs we do we appreciate you guys down there absolutely south of the equator is it it is crap i hope it is yeah, it's got to be south of you the know, equator. If you talk to those flat flat earthers, I, yeah, that's true. You don't want to you don't want to offend them. I, yeah, yeah. I, got, I keep forgetting we've got a big audience out there. <laughs> yeah, and, man. And some of our audience is just crazier than bed bugs. <laughs> we uh we've been getting a lot of feedback lately. Yeah, and it is so hard to explain to people. Hey, listen. No, we're not perfect. You know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know, this artillery piece, the Hellcat, I, I, it's not a Hellcat is not an artillery piece, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, we're like, oh, okay. We're going to make mistakes. Why? Well, uh, because number one, Russ is busy, you know, doing the cop thing and well, me is me. <laughs> you know, every, everybody that listens to this episode goes, oh, well, there's a Charlie. <laughs> and I want to point this out. I got at least 20 to 30 messages said, way to go, Charlie. You put Mark Whitman as. Oh, the, man. And I, I was like. Yeah, uh, sorry, we're we're trying to fix that. I know when the episode came out. But would you like to tell the people it wasn't my fault this time? Yeah, it wasn't Charlie's fault this time. It was mine. I got in too big of a hurry, and I don't even remember putting Mark Whitman in there. But I guess I must have. I don't know. But I, I yeah, I listened to our podcast yeah. uh, on Google. And I said, hey, Google, play Two Tankers and a Cat podcast. And it said, well, the episode is Michael Whitman. And I'm like, all right, cool. But I'm still trying to figure out, are there really that many Germans named Michael or Mike? I <laughs> I thought that was kind of odd to begin with, but well, that's just me. I don't know. It's usually Hans or. Well, <laughs> well, let Again, or Adolf. <laughs> Again, Russell's views do well, not necessarily. No, no, they don't. Anyway, yeah, I just thought it was kind of odd that his name was Michael. Anyway, but yeah. Now we're gonna get some guy from Germany named Bob. Yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna go. What do you mean? I know. Yeah, you're you're being <laughs> you're being mean. And I'm like, all right. Uh, so, oh lord. I guess we need to give a little shout out to Evan. He's one of our Patreon people. Yeah, he's one of our new patrons. And he's just down the road from uh, Southwest Missouri. Yeah, he's living in Southwest Missouri, and which is just a well stone's I, throw across the border. Yeah. Well, I know we got a trip planned to go over to Fort Lost in the Woods. I'm, oh, excuse me, man. Fort Leonard Wood. Yeah. And we're going to see the tanks there. And yeah. then we're going up to Jeff City, Missouri to see their tank museum. Yep. Maybe we can meet up with him and yeah. buy him lunch. Heck yeah. That'd be pretty neat. Hey, remember, if you hear us on Facebook headed towards your area, holler at us. Yeah. We we just, we, we want to get up to what, uh, 
Montana, isn't yeah. it? Or Wyoming? Wyoming. Wyoming. The new museum up there, yeah. Yeah. We got a buddy that's working there yeah. in their restoration. A lot of these places are actually still closed with the virus still going around, but yeah. Yes. Hopefully everything will open back up here in the next six to eight months, I hope. We're we're with you guys the same as everybody in this in the world. We are sick of this virus. Oh, yeah. It is just a pain. And then you're working, what, 12-hour shifts? Oh, yeah, working 12-hour shifts, and it's hard for me to... I can barely keep up with all this that we're doing now with the podcast. But, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully retiring in the next couple of years. and Nice. Have a lot more time to do this. Jump on it. Yep. Well, I know we're going to be talking about uh, a tank that we had in the last episode that I wanted to do an episode on is the Tiger II. Or the King Tiger, or the Royal Tiger. We're going to talk about that. I don't. I think we're the United States is the one that came up with the whole King Tiger. Yeah, you know, because they saw it. I don't think the Germans actually named actually that. Named it that. I, hmm. I think that's something that we just said. Ooh, King Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big tiger. <laughs> and if you've ever seen the Tiger Two, which we have. Thanks to Rob oh, down man. in Fort Benning. Yeah. We actually got to see that, and I was like, oh, my God, this I, thing's uh, huge. It is huge. Yeah. You know, that's when you hear the stories where the guys are in, like, the little Stuart tank, and, and, and they're driving through, and all of a sudden, they come up on a <laughs> Tiger II. And, and you put the Stuart next to the Tiger II, and you're like, I, I would have ran, too. Oh, yeah. Tiger, too. Get your attention. Well, you know, Tiger's got that big old gun on it. Yeah. And let's face it, if you're in if you're in open ground, you're you're done. You wish you wasn't there, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know anybody that really wanted to be in there. Oh, man. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started on the episode. Sorry, we, we got off talking. <laughs> Uh, if you guys are wondering, uh, we have uh, episode 50 coming up. Yes, we do. And uh, we don't even have really anything to talk about. We're just going to be talking about our trips and yeah. people and where we went on the show. Yeah. Some of the cool stuff that we've come across in our travels. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Tiger II is a German heavy tank. <laughs> and man, that thing's heavy. Uh, of the Second World War. Uh, the final of Official German designation was the Panzerkampfwagen Tiger August B. I, I kill that, man. We really need to take some uh, yeah, German. I agree. Often shortened to the Tiger B. The ordnance inventory designation was the SD KFZ 182. It is also known under the informal name of Konstantiger or Konstantiger. That's the German name for the Bengal tiger and often translated literally as the Royal tiger or somewhat incorrectly uh, as the King tiger by allied soldiers. So the Germans were calling it the Royal tiger or the Bengal tiger. And we were like, Oh, that's the King of all tigers. Okay. Russell, why don't you just tell us some stuff about this tank? Yeah, the Tiger II was a successor to the Tiger I, combining the latter's thick armor with the armor sloping used on the Panther medium tank. The tank weighed almost 70 tons and was protected by 100 to 185 millimeter, or 3.9 inches to 7.3 inches, of armor to the front. Okay, again, the Panther tank, I know they call that a medium tank, but when I look at you know, the comparisons like we did down in Fort Benning, the Panther against like, you know, our medium tank, the Sherman. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> I don't know if you'd call it a medium tank. I know. But compared to the Tiger II, yeah, yeah okay. It was a medium tank to that. <laughs> it was armed with the long barreled 8.8 centimeter KWK 43 L 71 anti-tank cannon. The chassis was also the basis for the Jagdtiger turretless Jagdpanzer anti-tank vehicle. The Tiger II was issued to the heavy tank battalions of the Army and the Waffen-SS 
It was first used in combat by the 503rd Heavy Panzer Battalion during the Allied invasion of Normandy on July 11th of 1944. On the Eastern Front, the first unit to be outfitted with the Tiger II was the 501st Heavy Panzer Battalion, which by September 1, 1944, listed 25 Tiger IIs operational. Wow. Um, good stuff. Um, Russ, tell us a little bit about its development. The development of a heavy tank design had been initiated in 1937. The initial design contract was awarded to Hinchel. Another design contract followed in 1939 and was given to Porsche. Both prototype series used the same turret design from Krupp. The main differences were in the hull, transmission, suspension, and automotive features. The Henschel version used a conventional hull design with sloped armor resembling the layout of the Panther tank. It had a rear-mounted engine and used nine steel-tired 80-centimeter diameter overlapping road wheels per side with internal springing mounted on traverse torsion bars in a similar manner to the original Henschel design Tiger I. To simplify maintenance, however, as when the same steel-tired road wheels were used on late Tiger I hulls, the wheels were only overlapping without being interleaved. The full rubber-rimmed road wheel system that had been in use on nearly all German half-tracks used in the interleaved design, later inherited by the early production versions of the Tiger I and Panther. Get off topic for a little bit. If there hadn't been a war, and these guys had had time to really sit down, work out all the kinks, this Tiger II would have been a bad mamba jamba. Oh, yeah, it would. I agree. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The Porsche hull designs included a rear-mounted turret and a mid-mounted engine. The suspension was the same as on the Ferdinand tank destroyer. This had six road wheels per side mounted in paired bogies sprung with short longitudinal torsion bars that were integral to the wheel pair. This saved internal space and facilitated repairs. One Porsche version had a gasoline electric drive similar to a gasoline electric hybrid, but without a storage battery. Two separate drivetrains in parallel, one per side of the tank, each consisting of a hybrid drivetrain, gasoline engine, electric generator, electric motor, drive sprocket. Wow. I know. Clear back then. That's neat stuff. German engineering. Yeah. And you think about it, trains, you know, modern day diesel trains kind of run on the same type of of a deal there. I'll have to take your electric. You're the train guy. This method of propulsion had been attempted before on the Tiger P and later Ferdinand prototypes. The Porsche suspension components were later used on a few of the later Jagdtiger tank destroyers. Another proposal was to use hydraulic drives. Dr. Porsche's unorthodox designs gathered little favor. Again, you know, you're talking about changing how tanks design. I yeah, mean, this yeah. guy, these people yeah. were geniuses. Yeah, well before his time, man. That's, yeah. Well, give us a little bit more about the design. Hinchel won the design contract, and all Tiger IIs were produced by the firm. Two turret designs were used in production vehicles. The initial design is often misleadingly called the Tiger II-P after the Porsche turret due to the misbelief that it was designed by Porsche for their prototype. In fact, it was the initial Krupp design for both prototypes. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that is interesting. This turret had a rounded front and steeply sloped sides with a difficult to manufacture curved bulge on the turret's left side to accommodate the commander's cupola. Fifty early turrets were mounted to Henschel's hull and used in action. In December 1943, the more common production turret, sometimes erroneously called the Henschel turret, was simplified with a significantly thicker flat face, no shot trap, and less steeply sloped sides, which prevented the need for a bulge for the commander's cupola and added additional room for ammunition storage. And 
there it goes again. They're like, hey, we're making these turrets. The, the first turret had a shot trap, which was really bad. But they were trying to f- get these tanks out on the field, you know. Yeah. Like I said, if these guys had time. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the proper materials mm-hmm. and weren't getting yeah. bombed. That's right, yeah. <laughs> that, that this would have been top-of-the-line tank. The turrets were designed to mount the 8.8-centimeter KWK-43 L-71 gun combined with the monocular sight by Leitz, which all but a few early Tiger IIs used. It was a very accurate and deadly weapon. We've talked so much about the 88 and the optics. You know, here here's what it is. You know, it's got all this, you know, just groundbreaking suspension and, and design and, and optics and everything, but they're not having the time to work out the bugs. Yeah. These things are going straight into the fight. During practice, the estimated probability of a first round hit on a two meter or six foot seven inch high, 2.5 meter or eight foot two inch wide target was 100% at 1,000 meters. Isn't that the size of the Sherman? Man. <laughs> wow. At, yeah. at 1,000 meters. At 1,000 meters. And they're just going click. 95 to 97%. Accuracy at 1,500 meters, which is nine-tenths of a mile. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. And 85 to 87% accuracy at 2,000 meters. And that's what, a mile? 1.2 miles. 1.2 miles. So at 1.2 miles, they got an 85% chance to smoke you. Yeah. And you didn't even see them. I know. Man. Yeah. Like I said... This is sounding like a great tank. Yeah, it really is. But I think we'll find more out. (laughs) Keep going. Recorded combat performance was lower, but still over 80% at 1,000 meters, in the 60 percentile at 1,500 meters, and in the 40 percentile at 2,000 meters. So in actual combat, they they still, you know, in the field, tired, getting shot at, worried, you know, inside this, you know, metal box, they still have a 40% chance at a, over a mile of smoking you. Man. Yeah, that's incredible. Penetration of armored plate inclined at 30 degrees was 238 and 153 millimeters. Wow. So basically what, nine inches or six inches? Yeah. It's going right through. Yeah. Whoa. 239 millimeters or nine and a half inches. Hey, Russ, you know what else is nine and a half inches? <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. That's our adult bu- podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that one for our other podcast. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> uh, anyway, go ahead, Russ. Powered turret traverse was provided by the variable speed L4S hydraulic motor, which was driven from the main engine by a secondary drive shaft. A high and a low speed setting was available to the gunner via a lever on his right. The turret could be rotated 360 degrees at 6 degrees per second in low gear, independent of engine RPM. At 19 degrees per second, the same as with the Tiger 1 with the high speed setting and engine at 2000 RPM. And over 36 degrees per second at the maximum allowable engine speed of 3000 RPM. This heavy turret... With, with this big 88 on it is going 36 degrees a second. You know what? That's, wow. yeah. that's pretty impressive. It is. It really is. Direction and speed of traverse were controlled by the gunner through foot pedals or a control lever near his left arm. If power was lost, such as when the tank ran out of fuel, the turret could be slowly traversed by hand, assisted by the loader who had an additional wheel which could manually rotate the turret at a rate of one and a half degrees per each revolution of the hand crank. I don't think I'd want that job. No. 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 Because you'd be cranking like crazy. Especially if you're in (laughs) combat. (laughs) Like all German tanks, the Tiger II had a petrol engine. In this case, the same 690 horsepower V12 Maybach HL230 P30 which powered the much lighter Panther and Tiger I tanks. The Tiger II was underpowered, 
like many other heavy tanks of World War II, and consumed a lot of fuel, which was in short supply for the Germans. We're going to talk about that. Again, I don't think they had engines designed that could push that. So this guy's coming up with these amazing torsion bars and amazing turrets and great guns and optics. But the technology to push this thing wasn't there. Was not there, yeah. You know, but again. Good good designs, but the power. Yeah, and and the other thing, a bad move, is they're making one of these specialized tanks when the Soviets are pushing out 50 T-34s and drank as much fuel as them. Yeah. You know, and what I what I mean by that is this Tiger II is sucking all this fuel and they can basically, you know, fuel, you yeah. know, 50 of these T-34s for the same amount of gas. You know, I mean, that's a dramatization, but you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and they were hurting for gas anyway. The transmission of the Tiger II was the Maybach Model B giving eight forward gears and four reverse gears, which drove the steering gear. This was the Henschel L801, a double radius design, which proved susceptible to failure. Traverse torsion bar suspension supported the hull on nine axles per side, overlapped 800 millimeters or 31 inches, diameter road wheels with rubber cushions and steel tires rode inside the tracks. Like the Tiger One, each tank was issued two sets of tracks, a normal battle track, and a narrower transport version used during rail movement. The transport tracks reduced the overall width of the load, could drive the tank short distances on firm ground. The crew were expected to change to normal battle tracks as soon as the tank was unloaded. That's a lot of changing tracks. Oh, that is. I just wonder how long it took to to change them out. I'm not even worried about how long... It took, could you imagine being on the Eastern front, you know, in that cold Russian snow blowing in and and you're in there with whatever clothing that they had. They don't have the stuff we have today, you know, that blocks wind and all this stuff. So they're sitting out there with their bare fingers freezing and they have to deal with these metal tracks. Yeah. Popping it and undoing them, and man, man, that is a job I, I wouldn't do. I agree. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. You can just line me up over (laughs) here and shoot me. I'm not doing that. Good stuff. I mean, I'm really enjoying this episode. So tell us about the production. The Tiger II was developed late in the war and built in relatively small numbers. Orders were placed for 1,500 Tiger IIs, slightly more than the 1,347 Tiger I tanks produced. But production was severely disrupted by Allied bombing raids. You think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, are we going to be able to get these tanks out? I don't know. Here's an idea. Keep them from bombing our factories and blowing up our guys. Among others, five raids between September 22nd and October 7th, 1944, destroyed 95% of the floor area of the Henschel plant. Well, man, uh, you know. Oops, that got on somebody's <laughs> radar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh-huh. You know. You know, when somebody comes knocking on your front door and saying, hey, uh, where's my tanks? I tell you what, uh, there's 95, 95% of the floor area. Well, the actual production plant. It's like, wow. That means you could walk in the front door, take a couple of steps, and yeah. you were done. Yep. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Russ. Go ahead. It is estimated that this caused the loss in production of some 657 Tiger Twos. Well, how many were made then? Well, only 492 units were produced. One in 1943, 379 in 1944, and 112 in 1945. With 5% of their floor space, oh, they're still p- pushing these man. tanks out. That's what I, that's what I keep yeah, bringing up. If yeah. they just had the time to get the kinks yes, out yeah. and, and got rid of the minor problem yeah. of bombs falling through the roof. Yeah. And this right here, I mean, it shows one of your big downfalls of trying to, you know, design and produce these things in the middle of the war. Yep. 
instead of having it ready beforehand. Full production ran from mid-1944 to the end of the war. Each Tiger II produced needed 300,000 man-hours to manufacture and cost over 800,000 Reichsmark. Adjusted for inflation, approximately $4.2 million in 2018 per vehicle. Uh, Again, 300,000 man-hours. And we were kicking these Shermans out, what, Oh, wow. One an hour? Yeah. You know, people say, well, the Sherman wasn't as good as the Tiger. You know what? You get 50 T-34s or you get 50 Shermans, they're going to they're gonna yeah. beat your one. Oh, yeah, they would. The Tiger II vehicle was the costliest German tank to produce at the time. We were talking about one of the other tanks. I can't remember which one that's produced today. That they, their cost is around four million dollars. So, and, and the, we're talking about advanced technology yeah. and radar and satellite assisted. But these guys are dro- dropping three hundred thousand hours, yeah, and, and four million dollars to make one. To make one. Dang. That's that's crazy. The Tiger II served as the basis for one production variant, the Yag Tiger casemated tank destroyer. And a proposed grill 17 slash 21 slash 30 slash 42 self propelled mount for heavy guns, which never reached production. Yeah, there was designs. I think that's in the world of tanks. Is it? The, yeah. yeah, the tier 10 Sounds grill. Sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, we are still playing World of Tanks. <laughs> we have so many historians that will contact us and say, you know, we, we, we appreciate that you guys say that, you know, we want you to get out and study on your own. You know, we're just giving the basic facts and, and that you're bringing information to people and expanding yes. people's interest yeah. and trying to save, you know, yeah. some of the history. Oh, yeah. There's so you much know. history here, folks. I mean, it's just incredible. And the positive side is that when we go and look at these tanks and stuff like that, you notice how many grandfathers or fathers are taking their children out and seeing these tanks. Oh yeah. That's really neat. And that is the key. You know, if you can bring a podcast with, you know, we've got a lot of younger listeners, you know, we've all, we we get contacted Mm -hmm. quite a bit about, these are people that are getting interested in tanks and the world of tanks game or what war thunder or armored warfare these kids are getting out there and they're learning about it. They're yeah. actually cracking books. They're finding our podcast, our YouTube, you know, they're listening to it. This is how you save history. hundred percent right. And guess where my interest of tanks came from? I mean, it, it came from the computer game world of tanks. I mean, it, it's so you can bad. I mean, yeah. You can bad. You can be the, you know, I'm a historical tank, you know, and mm-hmm. I have a bachelor's or a doctor's degree. Uh, we're just two guys from Kansas that play a video game and came out with this and traveled all over the United yeah. States looking at these. Oh, it's neat. And, and we've increased yeah. people's knowledge. Yeah, we have. So you can say whatever you want against us, but by God, yeah. World of Tanks started a You're lot right. of this. You're 100% right. The first combat use of the Tiger II was by the first company of the 503rd Heavy Panzer Battalion during the Battle of Normandy, opposing Operation Atlantic between Trorn and the Malville on July 18, 1944. Two were lost in combat while the company commander's tank became irrecoverably trapped after falling into a bomb crater created during Operation Goodwood. okay this Uh, is where you might start worrying about who's in charge you know hey where's the commander he's stuck in a hole (laughs) so let me get this straight you drove a four four million dollar tank into a a hole that was already there maybe you should have went around the crater hole man but he's like, I wonder, you know, red- we might be able to get out of this. I don't know. There, there are rednecks all over the world. You know, Tony, if, you know, from yeah. New Zealand, if we brought him down here, he'd be enjoying barbecue and fried oh, chicken and man. having a good time. Redneck type of guy. Yeah. You know, kind yeah. of cowboy. Yeah. And, and here's this German going, 
you know what? I can get through this. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make this. Hold my beer. <laughs> and, drove it and got it buried. And he was like, woo, boy, that was fun. Oh, man. Maybe you yeah. shouldn't have got the, you know, Captain Bars or whatever. <laughs> you know you're screwed when the commander's stuck in a hole. Yeah. I'm sorry, Russ. Go yeah. ahead. On the Eastern Front, it was first used on August 12, 1944, by the 501st Heavy Panzer Battalion, resisting the Sandomir's offensive. It attacked the Soviet bridgehead over the Vistula River. On the road to Ogledal, three Tiger IIs were destroyed in an ambush by a few T-3485s. Yeah. Because these German tanks suffered ammunition explosions, which caused many crew fatalities, Main gun rounds were no longer allowed to be stowed within the turret, reducing capacity to 68. Now, again, Russ's favorite tank is the <laughs> T-3485. Not the T-34, the yeah. T-3485. Yeah. Um, that's one of his... If Right now, I'm looking <laughs> in our studio, and there's one, two, three, four, five. There's five... <laughs> T-3485s just sitting around. Uh, he's got a little glass crystal thing that lights up LED, and it's a T-3485. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just got something off the wish list or wish, didn't wish, you? Wish, yeah. yeah. Wish.com is pretty cool. With yeah. Their, with their stuff, stuff, yeah. Is that a metal frame picture? Yeah, it's a metal metal picture. Nice. So he's a big fan of the T-3485, but so am I. Uh, I have always said, what if, you know, we were doing that Lynn lease and, and sending their tanks over. What if we had actually geared up and started making the T-3485 here with our technology and yeah. making it a cleaner and having a better engine in it? Good Lord, that'd been a great oh, tank. Oh, wow. But we had the Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Russ. Up to 14 Tiger IIs of the 501st were destroyed or captured in the area between August 11th and August 14th to ambushes and flank attacks by Soviet T-3485s and IS-2 tanks and also ISU-122 assault guns in inconvenient sandy terrain. Now, we've talked about this in prior episodes. If you want to check out that's why i thought we had done a tiger 2 episode because we've talked about some of the battles yeah, and have. stuff like that mm -hmm. and when we talked about the is2 which i still say was the best tank of world war Two. yeah uh as far as it was up there yes. it was up there i know people are like oh no 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 <laughs> and i'm like hey, if you research the is2 it, it was a, it was a good tank yeah it was the capture of three operational Tiger IIs allowed the Soviets to conduct tests at Kabinka and to evaluate its strengths and weaknesses. Well, like I said, we actually talked a lot about this in our IS-2 episode. If you haven't heard our IS-2 episode, it's one of our better ones. Yeah, So you need to go back there and listen to that. What was that, a year, two years ago? Yeah, probably right, yeah, about a year ago or so. On October 15th, 1944, Tiger IIs of the 503rd Heavy Panzer Battalion. On October 15th, 1944, Tiger IIs of the 503rd Heavy Panzer Battalion played a crucial role during Operation Panzerfaust, supporting troops in taking the Hungarian capital of Budapest, which ensured that the country remained with the Axis until the end of the war. Uh, yeah, it, if. There was a bunch of Tiger Twos rolling into my town and said, "Hey, <laughs> we're here." Uh, I'm, I'm like, "Okay, I'll just go over here and shut up." <laughs> the 503rd remained in the Hungarian theater of operations for 166 days, during which it accounted for at least 121 Soviet tanks, 244 anti-tank guns and artillery pieces, five aircraft, and a train. This was set against the loss of 25 Tiger IIs. Okay. How how do you get a Tiger II to take out a train? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Train's coming down the road. It's on patrol and says, wow. hey, that's not one of ours. Yep. All right. Well, that 88 will take it out. <laughs> that's, but, but again, here's, you know, these are staggering losses that they're having. You know, losing 121 Soviet tanks, like you said. 
again, they have tons. Yeah. Uh, uh, they just keep yeah. throwing them at them. It's a drop in the bucket. But yeah. they're 25 tanks times, what, 4.7 or 2 million? Yeah. Good Lord. They had a lot wrapped up in those 25 tanks yeah. that, they, that they lost. But you can't say the Tiger II wasn't a killing machine. That's right. Yeah. Ten Tiger Twos were knocked out by the Soviet troops and actually burned out. Two were sent back to Vienna for a factory overhaul, while 13 were blown up by their crews for various reasons. And that was usually to prevent them from falling into enemy hands. That That's what kind of kills me about this. Four million dollars yeah. and, and they're blowing it up because they either broke down or they ran out of gas or anything else. You know, that's not that's not Man. how you're going to win a war. No. Kurt Nispel, the highest scoring tank ace of all time, 162 enemy armored fighting vehicles destroyed, also served with the 503rd and was killed in action on April 29, 1945 in his Tiger II. The Tiger II was also used in significant numbers, distributed into four heavy panzer battalions during the Battle of the Bulge of December 1944. Lately, have you watched the Battle of the Bulge? The I movie? No, I haven't watched it. You know what? Now that you know all about tanks and everything. Makes a big difference. You go and watch that. You're going to go, that's not a Tiger II. Yeah. That, that's a that's a Pershing <laughs> or the, that's an M60 or that's a Patton tank. Gosh. You know, is, and uh, I think I saw a couple of Shermans in there. And then, and one thing they they had like a um, like the new Chaffee or whatever. Oh yeah. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, the Germans didn't have that. Oh man. <laughs> but I mean, that's the difference between Hollywood and yeah. real life. Well, sure. You know, they had to have tanks sure, to, to yeah. make the movie, and and that's what they did. Yeah. If you haven't seen the movie Battle of the Bulge, go and actually start looking at some of the vehicles, and you're gonna go. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> At least 150 Tiger Twos were present, nearly a third of total production, and most were lost during the course of the offensive. There's a well-known story that at the Battle of St. Vith, an M8 Greyhound armored car destroyed a Tiger II after getting in behind it on the Schoenberg Road and setting the vehicle on fire by firing three 37mm rounds into the rear armor of the Tiger from only 25 yards. Now, we've talked about that yeah, we when have. we did our Greyhound episode. Yes. If you haven't heard that episode, you need to go back and listen to that one. That was yeah. kind of a fun one. Oh, yeah. But, you know, people are like, that never happened. Uh, you know, there was no <laughs> records of the uh, the Tigers being there and da, da, da. Yeah. You know what? I'm not going to call the man a liar. He was there. There was all sorts of lost paperwork. These things were getting shoved around. Everybody was grabbing tanks. So is it possible that they didn't write it down or the paperwork got lost in history? Well, people are like, oh, no, no, no. You know, the Germans never fudged records. I'm like, (laughs) okay, we've got pretty much proof that they were fudging a lot of stuff. It's kind of like the people say, well, there was really never a Holocaust. You know, they didn't really have concentration camps. I'm like, I'm sorry. You can walk straight down to Oklahoma City and go to their uh, museum. And uh, when they freed Dachau, those, I don't think you can get 10,000 GIs to lie about that. Exactly. Some Tiger Twos were also present during the Soviet East Prussian offensives in January 1945 as well as the German Lake Balaton Offensive in Hungary in March of 1945, the Battle of Silo Heights in April 1945, and also the Battle of Berlin at the end of the war. On January 12, 1945, a column of Tiger Twos, among other tanks from 524th Heavy Panzer Battalion, were involved in a short-range engagement with T-3485 tanks near the village of Lasalle, with the Germans leaving behind five Tiger Twos, seven Tiger Ones, and five Panthers for the loss of four T-3485 tanks burnt out. Uh, again, you're, you're seeing these big losses. War, you, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, you know, in battles. But in that one, they lost really valuable armor that they're, they can't get back now. The 103rd SS Heavy Panzer Battalion claimed approximately 500 kills in the period from January... April 1945 
on the Eastern Front for the loss of 45 Tiger Twos. Now, we've talked about this, and I'm going to bring back the quality of the German gun and the optics being able to shoot from over a mile away. Now, people are like, oh, no, they were all in the city. No, they weren't in the city, okay? Most of the small villages were torn down. These guys were going across open roads. These Tiger Twos were set up. Usually had some kind of scouts telling them, hey, here they come. So they're aimed in the direction they're coming. These tanks are coming, you know, for a fight. They don't even see these tanks from a distance. And they probably had time to build up some kind of camouflage behind haystacks or whatever camouflage. I'm sorry. You can send 500 tanks in an open field that can't see. Well, it's kind of like we've talked about in Iraq. You know, the Iraqis had their tanks, you know, when we had that big tank battle. But they were ready. They knew the Americans were coming down this highway. Yeah. Well, they got off the highway and came across the sand and were using infrared in the middle of a rainstorm from like two miles or a mile away. And they were just blowing these Iraqi tanks to smithereens. Yeah. The heavy armor and powerful long-range gun gave the Tiger II an advantage against all opposing Western Allied and Soviet tanks attempting to engage it from head-on. This was especially true on the Western Front until the arrival of the few M26 Pershings in 1945 and the few M4A3E2 Sherman Jumbos that were scattered around Europe after D-Day. Neither the British nor the U.S. forces brought heavy tanks into service. And again, that wasn't our plan. No. People are like, oh, well, you know, what was the Americans thinking? They should have done this and they should have done that because that wasn't our doctrine. Exactly. And our doctrine was like, we have air superiority and we have artillery. If you see, if our infantry sees these tanks, you're not supposed to do the famous T-34 charge straight at them. Yeah. You're supposed to sit back and help us guide artillery or, you know, airplanes into striking these things. You know, these things are mobile fortresses. That's it. Yeah. And, and they have a great gun, but they're, you know, way a ton yeah. and, and they might be out of gas. It's true. So don't go charging up there. I don't think at any point in American tank doctrine that it said, go charge this. Yeah. They said, find out where it's at That's and it. let, let artillery just bomb everything. A German report estimated that the Tiger II's frontal aspect was impervious to the 122mm D-25T, the largest caliber tank gun of World War II. However, Soviet testing contradicted this as they found that the frontal glacis could be destroyed by firing three to four shots at the welded joints from the ranges of 500 to 600 meters, which were found to be inferior in quality to that of previous Germans' designs like the Tiger I or the Panther. They're metal. You know, they were running out of really good metal. Um, some of the metal that they were putting in these tanks wasn't really good quality. You know, like we were talking, they were getting bombed. Yeah. And, and they, were, they had people at their door, you know, SS troops screaming, you better get us these tanks. But like I was saying, you know, these German reports sucked back then, you know. So another reason to discount German reports, like the Greyhound fight. You know, oh, there were none there. You know what? I don't believe everything I read. I know. If I get somebody that was actually there and he's like, no, uh, this is what happened. And they're like, oh, well, it was a Panzer II or a Panzer IV. No, I've been pushing straight across Europe. Exactly. And and I've been driving by these burnout Panthers and these Tigers. I, I know what a Tiger II looks like. No, you're wrong. Oh, oh, okay. You know, that's when you just got to look at people sometimes and go, bless your heart. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. It wasn't. (laughs) It was a figment of my imagination. But why don't you go down there and clear that figment of imagination out of the street? Oh, oh, well, uh, uh, oh. That kind of throws a monkey wrench into, you know, German documentation. On the other hand, a... UK document of February 1945 estimated that the British QPF 17-pounder gun using armor-piercing discarding sabot shot was theoretically capable of penetrating the front of the Tiger II's turret. 
and nose at 1,200 yards or about 1,100 meters. You know what? This has been a great episode, but you know my favorite thing is the stats. And I know we've covered a lot of the stats, but go ahead and give them to us. Yeah, the mass was about 69.8 tons. The length was 7.38 meters or 24 foot 3 inches. Now, how long was it with the gun, you know, from gun to tail? Yeah, the with the gun, um, it was 10.286 meters long or 33 foot 9 inches. See, that makes more sense because yeah. when we went down to Fort Benning, I was amazed oh, at the I length know. of this yeah. tank. From the tip of the gun, the tip of the gun makes a big difference. It really does, yes. The width of the Tiger II was 3.755 meters or 12 foot 4 inches wide. And the height was 3.09 meters or 10 foot 2 inches high. It was a big old tank. Oh, I know it is. I mean, standing next to it, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's incredible. It had a crew of five. It had a commander, a gunner, a loader, a radio operator, and a driver. Well, there was enough room for them. Oh, there was. The armor was anywhere between 25 and 185 millimeters thick, or one inch to seven inches thick. Now, when we talk about the one inch or the 25 millimeters, we're talking about the rear... Yeah. You know, and stuff like that. Yeah. But up front, yeah, it had about seven inches. Yeah, that's pretty thick. For the main armament, it had one two-part 8.8 centimeter KWK 43 L slash 71, and it carried about 86 rounds of ammunition for that gun. But we were talking about after that fight with the T-34 85s, they weren't allowed to keep ammo in the turret, so that cut it down. Yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, when it went out the factory the first time, it had 86 rounds. 86 rounds. The secondary armament consisted of two 7.92 millimeter machine guns, and they carried about 5,800 rounds of that with them. The engine was a V12 Maybach HL230 P30 gasoline engine that cranked out about 690 horsepower, and it had a power-to-weight ratio of 8.97 horsepower per ton. Again, they didn't have the technology to put, put the, you know, turbo, yeah. you know, engines that we have now yeah. pushing like the M1 Abrams. Yeah, very, very much underpowered, yeah. Yep. It had a Maybach B transmission, which had eight forward gears and four reverse gears. And it had a suspension consisting of torsion bar. Had a ground clearance of 510 millimeters or one foot eight inches it had a fuel capacity of 860 liters or 190 gallons, and it had an operational range on the road at 170 kilometers or 110 miles. Maximum speed on road was 41.5 kilometers per hour or 25.8 miles per hour. Awesome stuff. You know, I know you remember, and I remember my first reaction to the Tiger II down at Fort Benning, as we mentioned. You know, when we saw that, again, you got to remember, when we went down there, Rob Cohen, he's killing his last name, but um, he was so cool in the middle of a rainstorm with I dinner know. on the table. I know. And he's dressed in a really nice suit, walked us in his really nice shoes yeah. out in this muddy, nasty field. Yeah. And when we got out there, it really cut loose with a, like, I, a, I don't know. remember how, how yeah. hard the rain was? It was torrential rain, yeah. But sitting there with the rain coming down that hard and, and the yeah. sound and looking at this tiger too and, and having the jag tiger right next to it it was yeah. it was life-changing i know you know we owe we owe rob a lot we really do thank we really him for, do. for doing that for us and, and that's why we try to give out shout oh, outs i know you yeah. know here's the only guy that i know I that's know. in there fighting to save these things exactly and, and he's one man. And, and like I said, you know, I wish I had the millions of dollars he needs. I know. I agree. You know, I I, I would just give it and say, yeah. here you go. Yep. You know, I, I don't need to leave it to anybody. Yeah. So I might as well spend it on, you know, saving history. Yep. I agree. Well, I think that brings us to our episode. Uh, this one ran pretty long. It did. You know, we've been just having too much fun. Uh-huh. We usually have a second point. I guess we'll bring up the second point when uh, we have episode 50. Hopefully. That. Yeah. All right. Well, I, do we have anything else to cover? Yeah. Oh, the Patreon. Yeah, we got to oh, go through our patrons, man. got to give them the shout outs. Yes, we do. 
we want to thank, like we mentioned earlier, we've got Evan. Um, he's our newest patron. Um, thank you, Evan, for your support. Very much appreciated. Antonio okay. Bernarda, he's been with us for quite a while now. Good old Slam Jamington. Yes. Alejandro. Alejandro Martinez. I think we kill his name, too. <laughs> and, and our good old boy, Bjorn Ben. I think Born he's down ben. in Texas. Down in Texas. Where you're going to get down oh, there. And they yeah. have some Texas barbecue. Yeah. And then we're going to hang out with him. And, and yep. we're going to uh, drive some tanks, you know, hopefully. Yep. Still got ODS Thero. And Rick Schmidt. And Rick. Yep. Man. Rick, your your book is uh, on the it way. Is, we, it is. We, we have... Yes. Ran into some difficulty shipping yeah, stuff outside the I United know. States. First time I've shipped anything outside the United States for quite a while, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's consuming. It, it, but it's <laughs> you will get it. It is. It, it's it, it will be it's in its the way. mail. Yes. <laughs> but like always, we want to thank all of our supporters here. The money and the support will be put to good use. I promise you that will be coming in the future. Very we, much appreciated. We still have tons of tanks to go over, oh, and we, we still do. have tons of places to go. Yes, yes. If you would just retire. I I know. I I wished I could do it tomorrow. But I know. So do I. I know. All right. Well, I think that brings the episode to the end. It does. Uh, this is Charlie. And this is Russell. As always, happy tanking, and have a great week. Mm-hmm.